This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, July 8th, 2021, and my guest is the awesome Sasha Segan of PC Mag. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Hi, Miriam. I'm doing really well. I'm really happy to be on this podcast with you. I'm so glad. You kind of missed our group podcast in New York a few weeks back, so I was like, I got to get Sasha on, and I thought this Qualcomm phone would really be the thing, and then the C-band article you just published, so we're going to talk about this. Frankly, I kind of want you on because there's a few things that are happening that are really exciting. The C-band thing, obviously, is very US-centric, but I think you're going to tell us in a second that it does apply to other geographies in many ways, but also this proliferation of affordable 5G phones. Until now, it was a rest of the world thing. We saw some $200 MediaTek Dimensity 700 phones out there from Poco and, you know, Realme, but we hadn't seen anything for the US and we covered it last week, but T-Mobile kind of threw us on a tailspin with this $200 Revel, which is made by TCL, it looks like, but Let's maybe jump in on that. And I'm just going to quickly mention for the audience that my TCL 20 Pro 5G review, which we discussed extensively last week, is up on hothardware.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. So $200 phone for US markets. What's your take on this? So T-Mobile right now has a massive amount of unused 5G capacity. They have been spending the past year building out uh, 5G capacity across the country. And they now cover 150 million people with their mid-band. They cover 300 million people with their low-band. And people who don't have 5G phones cannot access any of this. People who don't have 5G phones are all getting crammed into the 4G end of the spectrum. So T-Mobile needs to transition their user base over to 5G over to this, over to all of this extra capacity they've been building. And so that means that they need to dramatically bring phone prices down. They need to put 5G phones into everyone's hands. And uh, I am moderately sure they're subsidizing this one. Yeah, probably. I mean, obviously the um, the OnePlus Nord N200 5G the week before, which I also reviewed, $240 is a pretty great deal for that phone. It's a better phone than the TCL in some ways. But I think that well, TCL Revel, sorry, I know that they're probably not going to like me saying that, but it's clearly a TCL 20 SE with a Dimensity 700, right? And a few cosmetic tweaks, right? Like all the Revels have been like a Moto or something in the past, right? Yeah, and that's and and that's good. I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at some of the other white label programs out there, some of the other uh, vendors, even even T-Mobile from time to time, have used some OEMs that don't really you don't have a lot of confidence behind, but yeah. you you can be confident with TCL and Motorola. Yeah, I think that's always a good like the Revel phones have always been, I think, pretty good. I mean, they're locked into Timo. That's one of the drawbacks. But in this case, as you said, I think this is, you know, I thought this was T-Mobile flexing. Like, look, we can do a $200 phone. There's 5G in the US and it's not a complete like deadbeat. But I think you're right. It's more like they really need people to transition. And how do we make that happen? Well, you know, we give away free Galaxy A32 5Gs and give away free uh, OnePlus Nord N200 5Gs. I believe that was available for free for a limited time. Yep. I mean, it's kind of crazy. 
and they're subsidizing it, but I think they can, right? I mean, they obviously, would you say they're the best at handling this 5G transition so far? And do you think this was all planned from the get-go years ago with the sprint planning, or is it just it just falling into place and they just lucked out? I think, yeah, I think so far T-Mobile absolutely has uh, delivered the most real 5G network, real 5G build-out and experience of the three major U.S. carriers for the most people. And this was why they bought Sprint. They bought Sprint uh, specifically because they wanted mid-band. Sprint's, yeah, they wanted Sprint's 160 megahertz of clear mid-band to do, to do a nationwide mid-band 5G network on. This was the purpose of the merger. And is it ever delicious? When I got 300 megabits down and 25 megabits up on the N200 5G when I was reviewing it, I was in, in Washington State out in the middle of nowhere, but I'm pretty sure I hit some mid-band because I'd never seen mid-band before. Like, I know if I'm getting up to 100 megabits, it's low band, but like 300 megabits, that sounds like mid-band to me because, wow, like that was that was brilliant. Like, I was like, okay, this is the future. This is the future I want to live in where I'm in the middle of nowhere and it's faster than any cable internet I could get. Yeah, and that's, that's really just the start. I mean, 300 megabits um, as... T-Mobile goes to a full 100 megahertz bandwidth on its mid-band. You know, you should, we should be seeing 500, 600, 700 megabits with any luck. Well, I'm there for it. I, as a T-Mobile customer, I can't complain. You know, I feel like, you know, in the early days, people thought I was crazy when I joined Voice Stream. Remember that? Back mm-hmm. in like, what was it, 1999, 2000? And then they became T-Mobile and they had, get this, you, you probably remember this, a $5 a month unlimited data plan on GPRS. Oh, at one point they had a $2.99 a month unlimited T-Zones add-on. I remember the T-Zones add-on just being $5 though. But anyway, I got that and I was like, I had a T68i Sony Ericsson and I tethered that thing via Bluetooth to like Bluetooth done, you know, dial up networking to everything I had forever. And people thought I was nuts. I like, you're like on slower than edge, but like, look, it's working. Like you have no internet. I have some internet. Okay. (laughs) Well, if you, if you want to go down that road. So, um, when I first moved back to the States after a couple of years abroad, when I was young in, uh, 1999, Mm -hmm. I was, uh, homeless is too strong a word, but I was couch surfing, right? And I needed to job hunt, and I didn't really have any way to get online or a fixed phone number. So I went out to Bell Atlantic Nine X Mobile, and I got a Qualcomm QCP nineteen sixty thin phone. Oh yeah, and was able to hook it up to my laptop. As a circuit switch, oh my ninety six hundred baud modem to get at the job ads. See, I only ever had CDMA for voice. Like when I was in Canada, still before I moved to the U.S. in Vancouver, I bought a um, Sony CDMA phone of some kind that one of the virtual network operators over there had, and then then I switched over to a Sanyo of some kind because you know Sanyo made a lot of the Sprint kind of mm-hmm. phones and there was an equivalent carrier Clearnet was my carrier in, in Canada yeah and Clearnet is now TELUS exactly and so basically I had CDMA phones for voice and then when I came to the US you know I had read about this newfangled 
which wasn't newfangled, but newfangled GSM thing in Europe and being a good European you know, mm-hmm. born and raised there. I was like, I know the Europeans know how to standardize thing. It's going to be better than this American CDMA crap. And so I was like- So you went to your OmniPoint. <laughs> and mostly it was the data that I was excited about. So I just went with uh, with VoiceStream, which I think I, I joined like a week before they turned into T-Mobile. And so then I had that for a while and, and I never left. And so I, I was in pain during the 3G days. Remember when everyone had 3G, but T-Mobile mm-hmm. had Edge and it was a nightmare. That's the only pain I've ever felt being with that carrier. Well, now, now, do we want to talk about my Qualcomm QCP nineteen sixty phone? Because uh, we are, but I think I think we should. I don't know how we should get to. I want to get to the Qualcomm phone, but also want to get to your C band, <laughs> and then I want to get to the madness of U.S. carriers with the adaptive sound from Verizon. How do we get to all three of those in some way? Okay, so we start talking about how Qualcomm said on a call recently that they are not a phone maker. But you and I know the secret truth. I have to read you. I have to read this quote, okay? It's too good. Hang on. Let me go to your story on the Qualcomm because I laughed so hard when I read this. It was brilliant. Let's see. Where is it? You said something amazing. Okay. says, Qualcomm wants to make it clear that while this phone is good, it's not better than any other Qualcomm-based phones, even though it is, but it also isn't. You got that? And I laughed because it's totally what they did, isn't it? Yeah. So, okay. So to fill people in here, Qualcomm just, Qualcomm didn't announce. Did Qualcomm announce? We're not entirely sure. A phone exists. (laughs) Um, We know it is made by Asus. Uh Uh, It is called the Smartphone for Snapdragon Insiders, or in my mind, the SSI, and it costs $1,500. And it is, from Qualcomm's perspective, a a sort of reference device, which contains as many Snapdragon capabilities as possible that you might have heard demoed, but didn't necessarily make it into other Snapdragon partner devices like Samsung's or LG's or Motorola's. But... Qualcomm, and and this is part of Qualcomm's Snapdragon Insiders program, which is this fan program that they have where you can sign up and, you know, feel parasocially connected to Qualcomm. You get a newsletter right now is basically what it is. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but what's funny about this, so for years at Qualcomm Snapdragon Summits, which are their annual event every December, um, they show off the new uh, capabilities in Snapdragon. And then all of us say to the Qualcomm people, yeah, but are these going to make it into any phones after Samsung gets done with them? (laughs) Right. And Qualcomm's answer is, eh. And so this phone can be interpreted as a little bit of a rebuke to that, showing off the features, except Qualcomm is so nervous about offending any of its partners in the slightest. Yes. I get it. Like, they should be. This is not, as you said in your article, this is not a a Microsoft or Google thing, right? Where like this is could this could potentially be a threat if you know they did it the wrong way. Although I think they're really downplaying it a little too much. Like I really think like does Samsung have to worry about this? Nope, not with the. Uh, I just checked it out just for giggles, but you can actually get the fully loaded Snapdragon S twenty one Ultra right now, the two fifty six gig version mm-hmm. for less than $1,100. So that's still a huge disparity in price. And frankly, you could argue that it's still a better phone because of its camera setup, right? So so I think like, 
people are not going to go out and buy this phone. I think this phone to me, it goes back to what you're saying about the summit that Qualcomm has regularly. And that's that, you know, these phones are essentially reference devices. They look and feel a lot like the phones we get to touch, handle, play with at the summit. And to me, they're like, why don't we make one that's a little less, you know, like developer-y, has little holes for the antennas and stuff. And we make, we cover the holes and we make that for the the fans. And I think that's very smart because look, I'm sure Foxconn or whoever, Pegatron or whoever has been making these phones for them, they still have to make a few hundred at least, right? So, yeah, I mean, well, this is Asus. Does Asus make their own phones? Asus has a whole manufacturing yeah, business. Exactly. I mean, Asus has done like that kind of ODM stuff for others yeah. before anyway. So it's not, but I'm, I'm just saying like maybe the other ones were Asus as well. I, I just thought they were Foxconn or Pegatron or whatever, but yeah, I think this is smart. I mean, I don't think they're going to sell a lot of them, but if you're a gamer, this phone could be very compelling because um, it does have essentially a lot of the specs you see on the Asus, uh, what is it? The uh, ROG Phone 5. And then a lot of specs you see on the Red Magic phones, right? Which are a lot more affordable. But you know the software is not going to suck on like Red Magic. So. But I think, what, I think what is going to attract some people to this device is that it is stock Android. Right. And all the bands. Right. And we'll get, we'll get to that in a sec. That's how we segue to C-Band. Okay, good. So let's hold that off. Okay. Let me let me ramble some some specs. So this is like a 6.78 inch display with 1080p. It's 144 hertz refresh. That sounds like a Samsung panel to me. Again, it's probably the same. It panel. is a Samsung panel. They say that in the spec sheet. Yeah, it's the same panel we've seen on the Red Magic phones and the ROG phones. You know, nothing that wrong. That said, that said, no big names do 144 hertz in the U.S. No, no big names. But right. is Qualcomm making a niche phone a big name? No, I mean they're a big name. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, Red Magic has a 144 hertz, and ROG phone has a. I mean, they're the Red Magic's current is 165 hertz with the same panel, and I think uh, ROG has 144. So I think, look, whatever. But yeah. I think honestly, if I were worried right now as an OEM or whatever, it would be Asus ROG that should worry about. This is the closest thing to an ROG phone without trigger buttons in terms of specs, right? Mm -hmm. And then the cameras don't suck, which I mean, at least technically, which is, you know, kind of getting rare to see a flagship that has three proper discrete cameras that are all useful, including a, an OIS main camera. The OIS is getting dropped left, right, and center on flagships right now. And then this... Ultra wide with autofocus, so you can do a double as a macro, which OnePlus is doing. And then a proper 3X telephoto, only eight, right? But whatever, that'll still help you and do something proper because it's got OIS. And then one of my big curiosities there, of course, is that uh, at Snapdragon Summit, Qualcomm always loves to show off its choice camera algorithms. Right. And especially things involving AI zoom and AI camera transition and uh, taking in three feeds from all three different cameras to make it look like you have one camera that has a huge range of zoom. And I'm interested to see if they can make that work. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean... I'm really mostly worried about the software on this thing because stock Android is a little scary. Like we want it, 
But, you know, we have to remember the Google experience is the pixel launcher and pixel enhancements over stock Android. Oxygen OS is Oxygen OS. It is still a skin on top mm-hmm. of Android. So, you know, we love those because they're lightweight and very quick. But here's the question, right? It's like, I've played with some of those developer phones from Qualcomm and there's nothing on them. Like, you know, even some features you take for granted might not be on there. So I hope that it's at least a little enhanced with some things that Asus, you know, did their thing like they do. They do a very lightweight build on like the Asus Zenfone 8 that I reviewed recently. It's very, very stock. So hopefully it's that level of stock, not like pure, pure stock because pure, pure stock you don't want. That said, this being $1,500 and only being sold to Snapdragon Insiders, that is probably, that probably overlaps heavily with the readership of XDA developers. Exactly. So all of XDA developers and Reddit is going to buy this phone. Other things that stood out by for me, of course, is that it has the ultrasonic fingerprint sensor, but on the back, and it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb along with the Snapdragon logo that glows. The design on this thing, you can tell they don't want it to be pretty, right? Because it's really not, it's like, it's kind of an ugly duckling of a phone. I hate to say this, Qualcomm, but. I mean, Qualcomm <sighs> Qualcomm has never been the house for attractive industrial design. No, but Asus could have like pepped it up a little bit, maybe. Then again. I would argue Asus has also never been the house for attractive industrial You're design. You're right. I was going to say the Zen Phone 8 is just like almost generic. It feels like the generic phone that should be in every, you know, a screenshot of every ad of every app yeah anyway it also comes with all the snapdragon audio or sorry snapdragon sound stuff including some master dynamic rebranded earbuds true wireless do this do those have anc i hope they do at that price yes good 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 and then do we know the battery size on this thing four thousand Eh, that's not that great for this kind of... I mean, it's a Snapdragon 888, and we know, again, sorry, Qualcomm, but it's not the most efficient chip from all our benchmarks. I mean, it delivers in performance, there's no doubt about it, but even the 865 seems to be a little bit more thrifty with power. So, you know, but hey, it's got the 65-watt Quick Charge 5 that I think the only other phone I have in my stable that has that right now is the Red Magic 6, actually. And I think you pointed out two big things there that Qualcomm wants to get out into the wild, and this is part of the purpose of this phone, and that for some reason their OEM partners have not been taking up, and that is Quick Charge 5, which they offered up last year, and as you said, only Red Magic has taken them up on that, and Snapdragon Sound, which they've been pushing very heavily, and so far only Xiaomi have taken them up on that. And so they want to get those features out there so that hopefully someone else will buy those features. So, you know, the thing with Red Magic, though, is I just posted my Red Magic 6 unboxing video last night, actually. I've had it for a while, but I'm actually currently reviewing the Red Magic 6R Racing, which is like a, it looks like a flagship, not like a gaming phone, but it is a gaming phone. And it's even cheaper than the Red Magic 6 because there's no fan in it. That phone the six that we're talking about with the quick charge five doesn't come with a 65 watt charger in the box. It comes with a 30 watt charger in the box. So even though Sasha, they've achieved shipping a quick charge five phone in the U S the charger in the box is 30 watt. Why? I don't know because it's a $599 phone. Yeah, yeah. They're probably trying to save a bit of money. You can buy the accessory charger. It's like $49 or something. Yeah. Oh, that's so Apple. Well, yeah, but at that price point, remember the 6 is 599, but the Red Magic 6R that I'm reviewing right now is 
499 with a Snapdragon 888 and US 5G sold officially in the US. Okay, that's that's really that's really affordable. And that uh, the 6R I don't think has quick charge 5, but I can check and let you know. But anyway, look, the reality is this is interesting to me. And the fact that they didn't skimp on the cameras, you know, hopefully we can see as you said some of those great mm-hmm. Qualcomm Snapdragon camera features. And then the other the other big thing in there mm-hmm. is the radios. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because you're the expert in that. Like, it seems to me that you can get every band in the known universe right now. Pretty much, yeah. So the dark secret of um, phones not being able to u- be used across uh, across carriers or across borders is that these are all OEM and carrier choices. Right. They when 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 OEMs decide to make a phone that has US 5G bands and not European 5G bands or vice versa, it's not that it's technically impossible. It's that it's cheaper for them to do two SKUs. Yeah. And a lot of that to do with the power amplifiers and things like that, that, you know, and the number of antennas and mm-hmm. the positioning of the antennas, especially once you start adding millimeter wave to the equation, right? Right. And so this bad boy has everything it has millimeter wave bands that aren't even being used yet oh wow yeah it has because qualcomm so qualcomm millimeter wave is something that they are very very into and uh they have uh european millimeter wave bands that have not quite been implemented yet in this snapdragon phone this is fun hey speaking of which i know i'm kind of going back a bit but t-mobile's millimeter wave what's going on with that (sighs) they 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 won't give me a really straight answer on that. And they're not shipping any phones other than the Samsungs and the iPhones with it. Yeah, there's the Samsungs, the iPhones, uh, the OnePlus 9 Pro. Oh, right. Does it support millimeter wave on Timo, though? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've tested it. Okay, I thought it, was, I thought it was Verizon only. Unfortunately, I do not have T-Mobile's millimeter wave here at all. I do have Verizon a block down the street. Like, I literally, round the corner from my place, you've been to my place, mm-hmm. and I go down the street... Around the corner, I have like a Pico cell right there sitting there from Verizon. So when I've talked to T-Mobile about Millimeter Wave recently, they've basically said they're, they're, they're installing it in for two purposes. Mm-hmm. One is they're installing it in stadiums, convention centers, specific venues that have an extremely high density of peak users. Makes sense. Number two is they're going to install it for supplementary capacity for their home internet product in areas where uh, it makes sense and they have too many people trying to sign up for home internet. Yeah, I like it, but it's a one-trick pony, right? Like, if I want to upload a video to YouTube real fast, I just go down the street, put it on my Verizon phone, and upload it. Like, that's basically... It's very cool. You get three gigabits down and stuff. Yeah. Like that's how fast this is. It's really nice. But like, I, yeah, I think you're right. The high density places is where we're going to see it. And now that COVID is, is, you know, somewhat under control, I think that we're going to probably start seeing some uses, some use cases in public spaces that might make sense. I was just wondering if you knew anything about the, the I'm not even going to talk about AT&T 5g at all because it seems like at&t is just anti 5g because honestly every phone that i get to review right now even though it's sold in the u.s and it's unlocked it says oh sorry we don't support at&t 5g are they gatekeeping are they ima filtering i'm wondering what's going on do you know oh they're absolutely ima filtering but why they never used to do this for 4g what's wrong with them it is it is so so 
AT&T's 4G network is there's something involving their 4G network and fall back to UMTS for voice calling. Okay. Which means that I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe the situation is that um, their 4G network is included in the uh, standards bubble, which says a UMTS phone needs to accept any uh, SIM card that's compatible. Okay. But 5G is not. And so you can filter 5G to your heart's content. And they are, because I can't get 5G to work on any of the Chinese phones. And I look at the bands listed, I'm like, it's all there. What gives? And I got 5G activated SIMs on AT&T. I pay for it. And I've got like the right APN set and just This nothing. is just AT&T voice over Wi-Fi all over again. Right. Um, where they will only support voice over Wi-Fi on uh, their own sold phones or a very small list of certified phones. And I mean, honestly, AT&T does not care about the long tail of the smartphone model market you know right. they've always know been that. yeah i mean but it's pretty hostile i think like i mean look you could get a like a hat tip to to users that might be on your network that want to use some cool phones right like with an understanding that they can like sign a term of service on on their screen that says you know we're not going to support 911 in this area or whatever you're sol that way they cover themselves legally but I, I still i still would love to be able to click it on like i have you know there are some 5g phones i get that are not us phones that work great on t-mobile you don't see t-mobile like filtering on 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 stuff and they don't have a legal disclaimer protecting them t-mobile so, has always just been more open on that because they're the underdog i know they really are yeah are they still the underdog? I kind of feel like they're the leader in 5G now. But they like to think of themselves as the underdog. Yeah, they branded themselves. It's like OnePlus did for a while, right? It's very clever. In fact, OnePlus and Timo was a marriage that, you know, I, I actually had that conversation with John Ledger back in the day. At one of the first on-carrier events in Seattle, mm -hmm. I talked with them and I said, you know, he, that's when they launched the, you could borrow an iPhone 5. Mm -hmm. Remember to test on their network for free. Anyway, I said to him, I said, John, you guys need to talk to OnePlus. Like this would be a marriage made in heaven. Okay. So this it is, happened. Okay. Wait, wait. So you were going from one direction and I was going from the other because at roughly the same time. Oh, and I also told OnePlus. Yeah, yeah. For I was sure. like on the phone with like Carl Pei. Yeah. And he was like, well what you know what's our what's our next step and i and i and i like said US carriers timo well and i said john ledger is trying to do this uncarrier thing this is your brand you have to get on board so clearly we were all pushing them in, into this marriage it's all the journalists again we just manipulate everything in the background yeah no anyway but the point is it's interesting i think that this phone has all the bands and interesting that it'll be obsolete in a year because there'll be a snapdragon you know, whatever, 895 or something. I don't know, that's what the rumor calls it. You know, and then it won't be the latest thing, but it will still have bands that still won't have been implemented, right? Because it's going to take, what, a decade, five years for some of these bands to come in online? I mean, broadly, sure. Um, if you're looking at C-Band in the US, we're going to get the first 46 markets um, at the beginning of next year, but the rest of the nation doesn't open up until 2024. So what, what is C-Band? You just wrote a great article. I'm going to link to it. 
you know, obviously keep in mind that some of the audience here is not in the US, but maybe some of this applies to them as well. Yeah, so the easiest way to explain C-band, especially for people outside the US, is that it is the 5G band that most of the rest of the world uses, but that um, the previous US FCC did not have its act together to free up and uh, start uh, auctioning. That it, most of the world's 5G is operating in uh, what most of the world might call the 3.5 gigahertz band. And that's all of your Korean 5G. It's a lot of your uh, European 5G, uh, not Canada. Canada is much more in the US uh, zone. Uh, they mm -hmm. haven't even auctioned 3.5 yet. But um, that is mid-band, and mid-band is kind of the sweet spot when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to a combination of having available bandwidth for fast connections and not having to put a cell site every thousand feet. Yeah, it's a sweet spot, right? Like yep. you can, it's not great for like the great deserts of Arizona, mm -hmm. but it's kind of perfect for suburbia and right. potentially some urban centers. Right, it'll go half a mile to a mile or so. Nice. And so here in the U.S., however, uh, T-Mobile was, the, because of the Sprint purchase, was the only carrier that had a significant amount of free mid-band spectrum. And uh, the U.S. realized it was falling behind um, and therefore pushed ahead. There was a lot of politics involved. There was a lot of debating with the previous holders of the C-band spectrum, um, who were these private satellite companies who had gotten in the 1980s. And, but eventually, uh, about 280 megahertz of C-band was freed up in two phases at the end of 2021 and the end of 2020. That's like a gold mine of megahertz. I mean, the full C-band in the U.S. is more like 500 megahertz. And wow. because I have no personal love for private TV satellite downlink companies, I was just like, put them out of business. Give it all the 5G. But of course, you know, I'm, I'm extremely on one side of this debate. I mean, you and I have very similar views on this, right? Like the good of the people, right? The good of the majority. And the FCC has always been supposedly, which is not, has been the case. But, you know, they are theoretically keeping our airwaves, yep. our public airwaves yeah. in check for the private industry to use. But right? what, this means, what this means for users is that starting at the beginning of next year, Verizon gets 60 megahertz. And AT&T gets 40 megahertz in um, a lot of the country, a lot of the populated areas of the country. And that will give them, both Verizon and AT&T, for the first time, a distinctly different 5G experience than 4G. Where right now, you mean one that doesn't suck? <laughs> well, right now, right now their 5G is just 4G with a different indicator. Exactly. And... When this C-band comes online... Remember, except for AT&T, which indicates 5G for 4G, so... Excellent point. And they indicate 4G for 3G. Uh, but oh, I hate them so much. But, but what this means is at the end of the year, we are going to hopefully start getting this more Europe-like 5G experience in a lot of these major metro areas on Verizon and AT&T if you have the right phone. Well, okay, so... I was just going to ask you, what are the right phones right now? All of Samsung and Apple's, I presume? 
Um, well, all the most recent Samsung. Yeah, examples. like this past year. Yeah, the twenty ones, the twelves, uh, the one the A series, A fifty twos, A thirty twos, all of those. I think that yeah, the most recent ones, the Pixel five, One Plus, the One Plus nines, but not the T Mobile Nords. Of course not, because T Mobile they're bespoke. Yeah, T-Mobile isn't using C-Band. I mean, Netflix. I think, I kind of feel like OnePlus is just selling these unlocked just to be able to say we're, we're selling them unlocked. Like, yeah. there's just no rhyme or reason behind it at this point. You don't want to use these phones on anything else. So the rhyme or reason behind it is that um, OnePlus has a, a retailing deal with Best Buy that gives them visual retail visibility. <laughs> that basically, so it's it's... So they don't intend to necessarily sell a lot of these, as you said, unlock Nords, but they want people walking through Best Buys to be able to see a OnePlus display and understand that this is a this is a mainstream phone maker. Right. This is a brand you can rely on that's associated with other reliable retail brands. And you know what? I think that's true. I think that, you know, the mainstream still doesn't 100% understand this, but I think that even the non-tech savvy at this point is starting to understand that there are really three brands in the US, Apple, Samsung, and OnePlus. Like it used to be LG, the Whoa. third, right? So so no Motorola? Motorola's out for you? I think Moto is like LG Stylo, right? You walk into the store and you get the free phone that you get with your virtual network operator prepaid plan. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think people go out to buy a Moto. They've heard of it, like they've heard of Nokia, but I don't think they've seen a Moto phone recently. I don't see Moto phones out there. Mind you, I don't see OnePlus phones either. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, with LG dropping off, Moto's is going to have to like get some sort of Halo product that doesn't suck. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Edge Plus was a great phone. It just didn't, you know, it had so many issues and Verizon exclusive. Moto just has to stop making Verizon exclusive and has to stop making crappy phones with Snapdragon 480 that sell for 400 bucks. Like that stylus phone that I just reviewed. Like you look at the OnePlus side by side with that and you're like, the only difference is the stylus and $200. Like why would I spend that kind of money? Well, in the case of the Moto phone, that is so specifically an attempt to grab the uh, G Stylo. Yeah, Yeah, the G Stylo market. But the price is too high. That phone yeah. should have been like two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of the four eighty, honestly, it wasn't that great on the OnePlus, but it was even worse on the Moto, performance wise. I mean, I mean, yeah, sure, but the four eighty. I mean, okay, so the four eighty is an incredible step forward for the four series. Yeah, but it's really a 6 Series, if you look at it's it. It's a 6 Series. It's a 6 Series with a 4 name. It should have a 4 price. Yeah, granted, that's true. All of that's true. But when you look up MediaTek's proposition next to that, the 700, it's a way better chip, in my opinion, performance-wise, for less money. I mean, I think MediaTek's killing it in that area right And now. now, speaking of MediaTek, one of the things that uh, Qualcomm is nervous about is, I don't know if you saw that, that notice that the OnePlus Nord uh, 2 is going to use a Dimensity 1200. And it will because, you know, they want to make us flagship killer again. And I'm welcoming OnePlus trying to disrupt again because, you know, I'm hoping there's a bit of backlash going on with, you know, Pete Lau and the team over there that is opifying to death the OnePlus brand. Like, I get what they're doing. I understand the strategy. It all makes perfect sense. Look, you know, they're growing up, but they have this great brand and this great audience still. And, you know, in 
places where Oppo is unknown, like North America, OnePlus is the BBK brand. Mm-hmm. But you can't just throw out that niche. You, you need to somehow address that niche. And the OnePlus Nord last year, we never got. But I reviewed it. And I tell you, Sasha, one of the top five phones of 2020. Like it was pretty much in all ways a OnePlus 8 with a 765 for $300 less. Like, they were not making money on that phone. There's no way they were making money on that phone. Well, my newsletter tomorrow is about how OnePlus's communications have become a mess over the past six months and how there are various situations in which they could have spun things to their absolute benefit and glory but their communications team and their messaging team seem to be in chaos, just seem to be in total confusion. So that takes us to the next topic, which I want to talk about. I know we're going to skip over this real quick, but before I continue, there's one item that I forgot to ask, and I know we're going back again, but do you know if that Qualcomm phone has wireless charging? I don't believe it does. And that, I think, is a major miss at $1,500. Um, I really wonder what the Asus, uh, like what Asus manufacturing issue led to that. The fingerprint sensor in the middle of the back of the phone is what led to that because, and the glowing logo, because I cannot believe they didn't put it under display. Like that thing looks so old school from the back, you know? Well, they didn't. Okay. So this is something I understand why they did it, but I don't understand why they, why they did it, which is that they said that they did not put the fingerprint sensor under the display because they used a rigid rather than a flexible OLED panel. And the fingerprint sensor can only go under the display if it's a flexible OLED. Flexible. But they Hmm. didn't explain why they had to use a rigid rather than a flexible OLED. Weird indeed. Because, you know, you're right. The other phones with that display have an optical in-display fingerprint right. sensor. Huh. Well, anyway, let's move to back to OnePlus because, oh boy, are people pissed this week about OnePlus. And I really don't understand why, honestly. This is, to me, people overreacting. For once, OnePlus in the past has, you know, made their benchmark result look better by you know, increasing clock speed on uh, benchmark apps, like artificially. And and that's not cool, right? But this is not the case. What we're talking about here is that they've lowered the clock speed, like they're making it a little slower to run some apps to preserve battery. And as I said, again, I don't want to be mean, but the 888... Every 888 I've reviewed and benchmarked because hardware does benchmarks and I've been doing benchmarks for them, it shows that it just cannot handle long-term performance because it just throttles down because of thermals unless you have a fan in there and there's a few phones that do it well like xiaomi mi 11 but generally it's a problem and so you got to find a compromise between how perceivably the phone feels versus how much battery you're eating and if you're not running a game or running a benchmark you know why not throttle down a little bit like it's so fast already it's so optimized oxygen os you're not going to notice and this is entirely, as you're pointing out, a communications problem exactly. for OnePlus. Yep. Because this comes, what this comes back to is that OnePlus built for many years a brand on concepts like ultimate burdenless speed, and we are very open and participatory with our community. And so what you're feeling here is not any there there's there's not any real problem with performance what you're feeling here is the community feels betrayed because they weren't brought in on this decision 
And it's the nth betrayal too now. It's yes. like, you know, we got the crappy Nord sent to North America when we were expect never got the good Nord. And now they're teasing us with another Nord that we probably won't get with a Dimensity 1200. I like the N10 5K though. Yeah, and the OnePlus 9 and 9 Pro, yeah, they had some, they weren't, they were too expensive really. Like they just, I mean, the problem with the OnePlus 9 is that it has no OIS and has a plastic frame. And at that mm-hmm. price point, you might as well go buy a Galaxy a fan edition and whether you buy the last year's or the upcoming and then the 9 pro is super awesome it checks every box but you can buy as i said a galaxy s21 ultra for less than 1100 dollars with 256 gigs of storage right now why would you buy one plus nine but so spoiling my newsletter tomorrow here is what they should have done and um what they should have done is that in the one plus nine like buried in settings somewhere they should have had a toggle And the toggle is optimized mode versus extreme mode. And it's set to optimized mode, which does exactly the thing that they do right now, which throttles when necessary. But it's buried in there, and the fans who really want to find it can turn it off and switch it to extreme mode. And then everybody talks about how great it is that it can be extreme if it wants to, but it's optimized for because they're smart and caring. But no, this is a communications failure where they weren't talking to their people and their people feel betrayed yeah it's the same thing as apple kind of did with uh when they were throttling performance for battery life right like for Mm -hmm. older phones and i think engineering wise it makes perfect sense like it's actually super smart but then you as a customer you feel like oh there it's you know planned obsolescence like how apple did not nip this one in the bud before somebody discovered it is crazy to me but also like i can i can see that from apple's arrogance and apple's general apple's general we know best apple's general we're a closed yeah. system perspective but oneplus's entire brand i know i know was built differently and that's what i fear they're ruining right now as they turn into oppo yeah do you think that Carpe left because of this general change in philosophy that pete lao wanted to kind of essentially consolidate oppo Realme and OnePlus into one. I don't know what the ch- I don't know what the chicken and the egg are there. I don't know if it's happening because Carl left, or I don't know if that's why Carl left. I know Carl leaving has something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not like you know, I'm not here for the gossip. I'm just kind of kind of curious what you think because I've always felt that it was maybe not a bit more of A than B. Like I think that the Nord was such a brilliant product, the original. And then when we got the N10 and then 200, we're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like no alert slider, all plastic. Like what are you talking about? These are not Nord phones. This is not what we were expecting. We were expecting you to go down market, but keep it like, you know, we didn't want just another renamed Oppo Reno or Oppo A series, right? So, so to explain, I have a story about the band U2 that okay. illuminates what is going on at OnePlus. And and so I love you so much, Sasha. Go on. This is great. So long ago somebody was interviewing Bono. Okay. And uh for for the younger listeners of this podcast, Bono is the singer in a popular 1980s band called U2 out of Ireland. And uh so somebody was interviewing Bono and of course Bono was like talking himself up and talking up the lead guitarist The Edge. And meanwhile the other two guys um, Larry and the guy whose name I always forget were kind of in the background not talking. Right. 
And uh, the interviewer says to Bono, so you're talking about like what you and the Edge do with all the songwriting and with all the creation and, but there's two, two other guys in the band. Like there's Larry. What does Larry do? And Bono says, Larry says no. Ha, nice. And that I feel like was a certain interaction between Pete and Carl that now that they've broken apart, Unfortunately, you are now seeing what happens with both of them when the other one isn't there to say no. Yeah, basically. I So Carl Pei said no. Carl Pei, in a lot of cases, you know, said no. He probably said no to the five budget models at once made of plastic, you know. Yeah. Carl would have said no to he that. He would have said no to the OnePlus 9 having no OIS and having a plastic chassis. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, speaking of BBK Group, there's a bunch of other things. And this kind of ties in with this Qualcomm trying to like, hey, we exist and make phones now again, but don't make phones because, well, we do not want to hurt anybody's feelings. Apple, like Xiaomi, is rumored to be making a custom ISP for their phones. And I have to tell you, Sasha, and I don't know if I told you this at dinner in New York, but the Oppo Find X3 Pro is my favorite flagship mm. phone of 2021 mm. so far. The only reason I can't use it is I'm stuck on 3G when I put a T-Mobile SIM in it. It's that bad. But in terms of band support. But it's such a good phone. The camera system is so well-tuned. I think it's better than... It's the same cameras essentially as the 9, but it's better in terms of performance. You know, they're obviously using the Snapdragon 888 ISP here, but... It seems to me like Xiaomi's also done some incredible work with camera phones like the Mi 11 Ultra. And it seems to me like they're plateauing and, and maybe Qualcomm isn't giving them what they want or need to go next gen. And now they're making their own chips with ISPs in the same way as Google is rumored to have their own Whitechapel chip on the Pixel 6 series. So what gives Qualcomm or do you think it's just the way the things are going? I mean, I think there's there's definitely... You know, there's there's definitely a desire to differentiate. It sounds like an ISP is a discrete, a relatively discrete, affordable, manageable way to differentiate without having to go to designing your entire own SOC. Yeah. The way uh, Google is doing now. And remember, Google started with an ISP. Yeah. And FPGAs are faster, too. Like, I think, you know, if that's the way they're going, because if you think about remember back when the again, this is dating us, but the Nokia 808 PureView had a dedicated, you know, FPGA ISP. And then when they went to the Nokia 1020, uh, Lumia 1020, right, Mm -hmm. which had essentially the same sensor. Well, it's actually a slightly different sensor, but 41 megapixel, whatever, with OIS this time. They actually used the Snapdragon S4 or whatever it was at the time, ISP. And it was like five times slower or Mm -hmm. something, processing images, right? Because it's not a dedicated chip. And there's no way the application processor on the Symbian phone could have handled any of this at all. So they needed an ISP. So I'm not blaming Qualcomm or anything. I'm I'm just pointing out that there is sometimes a good reason for dedicated ISP. Yeah, I mean, there's a good reason for a dedicated, there is sometimes a good reason for a dedicated X, you know, for any value of X. But there seems to be a proliferation on potential future flagships of dedicated ISPs, which tells me that either Qualcomm's not delivering what the manufacturers want, or they're just 
uh, saving money in some way, but they're still going to have the chip in there. They're still going to have a Qualcomm chip in there, right? So yeah, no, I think I think they're wanting to hard code some of their own algorithms in to make it right. to make it much faster. And you yeah. can't necessarily do that with Qualcomm's off-the-shelf product. I think you're right, but it's interesting, right? Because Xiaomi first, now Oppo. And of course, Google with mm-hmm. Whitechapel, yeah. which we know is all about the ISP. We know Google is doing. Well, no, it for Google that. had the Google had the Pixel ISP before Whitechapel. Well, right. Yeah. Thanks for reminding us of the, the Pixel, Pixel Core. Core. Exactly. They started this whole ball rolling. God, Qualcomm must be so mad at them. No, just <laughs> kidding. And speaking of BBK Group, this is kind of just out there, so I've had to kind of include it because it's kind of fun. It's a patent from Vivo where basically a tiny little drone is stored inside your phone and acts as the camera in the phone when it's stored inside the phone. So it's like it's got the cameras in the drone and it's stowed and there's a little window in the back so that you can use the cameras. And then you can just push a button and the thing flies out of your phone and just hovers that and does your selfie stick job. I mean, you know... It seems silly, but at the same time, five years from now, this seems perfectly normal to me. And I, I can just see it getting swatted out of the air and destroyed within minutes. By somebody who's mad. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and uh, I, I also suddenly think of, uh, there was a phone in about 2008 called the LG Decoy, which had yeah. a Bluetooth headset that mm-hmm. snapped into the back of the phone, which was also a very that. bad idea. Yeah, I don't know. It's bad, but it's also good because it's Vivo. So it's like, you know, they would do it. Like, you know, Vivo makes some really great phones and they're the only BBK entity that's still kind of doing their own thing. So, you know, I don't want to dismiss it. This would be very interesting if it happened. I think it would take up a third of the internal space of the phone, though. So I'm not (laughs) sure how practical. It'll have a little backpack. (laughs) I mean, it's really small. It's like, three by three centimeters or something or less you know it's mm-hmm. really small and it's got protected propellers so you could catch it wait until that is used in any house that has a cat oh my god that's so great i can't wait for the tiktok videos let's switch gears to samsung there is very strong rumors of a galaxy unpacked event on august 11th that would introduce the new folding phones and now there's even rumors of an affordable third folding phone like so we would get the z fold 3 and the z flip 3 and maybe a z flip light and lots of rumors and of course the watches that they discussed at mwc wait mwc happened right yeah we covered that last week on my show yeah no it happened i i woke up at four in the morning and watched some video casts and called it a day it just feels so weird anyway so yeah so all that stuff is gonna happen what's your you know, what's your prediction on this thing? I mean, I'm really looking forward to the new new flippable and the new foldable. Um, the Who doesn't? Exactly. The, They're amazing. Like, the Fold 2, I bought mine because they wouldn't give me a reunit. I bought it and returned it because I couldn't afford keeping yeah. a $2,000 phone, burning a hole in my pocket, getting obsolete in six months. I couldn't afford to do that. But yeah, I'll tell you, like, in a very bleak year last year, the Z Fold 2 was a super fun, innovative breath of fresh air it was it was a lot of fun to have around and i i want to see next i feel like 2020 was the year of samsung i feel like here's some of the milestones they started off a little bleak because the the s20 series i think other than the may s20 the s20 ultra was a total total miss it under delivered it looked ugly the s20 ultra was the was the worst 
reviewed Samsung flagship I think I've done since the original Galaxy S. Yeah, but it, it had so many problems and it was ugly on top of that and it came in an ugly color. And then they blew our minds at the same time with the Z Flip. The Z Flip is such a great phone today, to this day, and you can get the 5G version now. Then it got better when we got, of course, the Z Fold 2, uh-huh. which was really like, as you said, the mother of all phones for 2020. And then, then the Note 20, which in my opinion is the best phone that is not a weird folding, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was the flagship for 2020. Like that Note 20 just killed it. I never used the stylus on it, but I just love the bronze, the squareness of it, the cameras on that. Finally, they got their cameras in order. That thing was just killer. And then of course we got the S20 Fan edition, which was just like out one plusing one plus, basically giving one plus the big finger saying, Hey, you know, we can do that too. Yeah, I mean, the FE set the benchmark for the next six to nine months for uh, mid range phones in the US. The FE, because it's Samsung and nothing is ever sold at list price. And so the list prices is notional and they're always cheaper in reality. The like F- Moto. I guess so, yeah. The FE <laughs> um, basically set this bar and said, this is, you know, you're going to have to be this tall to ride on the ride now. And yeah. uh, and OnePlus wasn't even in the game anymore at that point. Like, there's yeah. no way they could compete. It was amazing. And, you know, and then, you know, the A-series took the U.S. by storm. We haven't seen a mid-range be this successful mm-hmm. in the U.S. in, in years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so far, the Samsung in 2021, I mean, the S21 Ultra is a masterpiece it in is terms of imaging. completely what the S20 Ultra should have been. Absolutely. Correct. And better than that because they have two telephotos now. And then also much nicer industrial design. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it, it's so much more premium. And then, you know, we're waiting for the rest, really. Like we know there's an S fan edition coming and wow, is it going to be ever awesome. And then of course the folding phones. Are you, know? you okay with no note? Well, in this case, yes, because we have the S21 and I'm not a Silas user, but if they do make a Note 21, I hope they make a Note 21 that's as good as the Note 20 was last year because that was great. Uh, let me show you, of course, uh, what I have here, which is my S21 Ultra with the stylus case. Oh, you've got the uh, the little <laughs> stylus uh, case. You know, it's so wide already that I feel like that's a miss. Like, that's one of the things that made the Note 20 so usable. It was very narrow for a big phone, mm-hmm. right? Because it had that wide aspect ratio and a, it, the stylus built in. So I think that's kind of what I liked about it in some ways. But look, we'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be a big deal. You know, we're, we're going to get, it's like Apple's events. We're going to get bombarded with Galaxy everything for a while there. I, I, the other phone that I should mention for this year from uh, from Samsung that I think is a solid one that really kicks butt is the A52 5G. Like there's a bunch of A50s, A30s and whatever, but I think the 52 in particular. Our reviewer, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen, who does our mid-range phones, he had some performance problems with the A52. Ah, but I think if you look on paper, if you look on paper, it's good. But he said that there's something in the software on the A52, which is really dragging it down, unfortunately. And it's a Snapdragon 750G. Yeah, maybe that's that's Samsung has not managed to optimize like the rest of the gang has mm-hmm. because the 750G on even on the TCL 20 Pro 5G was pretty snappy, actually. I think I think he prefers the TCL 20 Pro 5G, actually. Well, I think it's a better phone in some ways. It's just a software. TCL just needs. I don't know. It's just the software on that thing. The camera software on that thing. Oh my God, what a mess. Um, Last thing, well, two couple of things. We talked about CarPay a lot. The Nothing Ear 1 
true wireless earbuds that have been rumored forever are supposed to come out later this month. I'm in touch with their PR people. They haven't committed to anything. Who isn't in touch with their PR people? Well, I mean, I'd like to get a review and it'd be nice. But $99 is what's supposed to cost with ANC. I, I don't know. Like, there's so many true wireless earbuds right now. A lot of them have ANC. Even some at that price point, there might not be big brands, but some of them are really, really good. Chinese made, you know, no-name brands from Amazon that I've tried that are really great and compelling. I don't think you need to buy a real big brand pair of earbuds these days to get good sound and good ANC. And so I'm not sure how they're going to compete there. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm worried about, so we were talking earlier about how we worried about Pete without Carl. And right. what I'm worried about with Carl without Pete is that uh-huh. he makes something pretty, which has a strong reality distortion field around it, but not the core engineering. Yeah. Well, it does have, they do have teenage engineering as their- No, but teenage engineering is not an engineering company. It's a, it's, it's a design. Yeah, it's a design yeah. firm. So what I'm worried about here is that it's all design. Right. Could be. It's hard to mess up true wireless earbuds with ANC these days, though. Yeah, I guess it is. As you said, it's somewhat... It's not like you're making a phone. Like, you could really mess up a phone. It's somewhat commodity. Yeah. And so maybe your design and your reality distortion field turn out to be the true differentiators. But where do you go from here, right? You know, like, who who does just, like, how can you build a entire brand around just true wireless earbuds with ANC for $99 in 2021. Like if it was five years ago when AirPods were new, I'd say, yeah, you've got a chance. You know, probably it wouldn't be 99. But the point is, it's it's a completely saturated market at this point. I get the feeling that this is what he could afford to build. Right. He needed to start somewhere. He needed to start somewhere, exactly. And there have been a lot of, there have been various people who have started with a phone and then that has been a disaster because that's such a, um, that is that is such an investment. And I'm thinking of Essential primarily. Oh my God. They acquired the Essential brand and, and actually in a statement, he said that they, where there's no intention on making an Essential anything is that they, one of the branding options they had was calling themselves Essential. And they realized if they might do that, they should acquire the Essential brand because it was available. Kind of like Palm being made by that startup mm-hmm. that then got manufactured by TCL. <laughs> yeah, but so, so yeah, so he doesn't, he is aware of Essential and he's aware of the story of Essential. He doesn't want to be Essential. And that means your first product isn't a $700 flagship smartphone that you need to sink, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into developing. Right. And that makes me wonder about where they're going to go from here. Like, I just like headphones, you know, are they an audio brand or they're just going to make some random accessory mobile devices yeah what? are they an accessories brand are they going to be like anchor but with design Ooh, anchor was design yeah anchor does need some design love don't they i don't know it's just i can't wrap my head around this i want it though i want to try it out because i love a good pair of true wireless anc earbuds and there's still a lot of opportunity to be had there so um you know last topic here we could have a good rant on this one and i think we should the nokia flagship leak like the the rumors are building up for november launch november who launches a phone in november is there some kind of chinese holiday or something well maybe but i'm thinking you're right a lot of this points at being a chinese only product right how do you feel about nokia under the hmd tutelage i feel very mixed about it 
I mean, I feel that ultimately they have, you know, ultimately they have driven themselves into being one of those mid-range companies. Yeah. There's still a lot of emotional everybody seems to be one of those mid-range companies now there's still a lot of emotional love for them especially in europe i mean i like the branding Mm -hmm. i like the designs usually but i feel that they're not delivering that great in terms of value right like the specs are not that exciting and the prices are not that exciting they're they they're certainly not differentiating. Now, that said, last year, the Nokia 5.3 was one of our top picks for a low-cost phone in the U.S. I do have the 5.3 in a drawer. I didn't get a chance to really use. It's not the kind of phone I would use. I, I, need, I hate to say this, but it needs to have at least something a little better than there. But So people like it. Yeah, I mean, it was a case of people were flocking to some extent more to the European brand and the European design language over when your other choices are TCLs and ZTEs. But that isn't yeah. that isn't going to be a self-perpetuating company. That's that's when you're running on fumes. And I think one of the points you're making is that they haven't had a high-end defining idea for two, three years now. Yeah, and then, you know, when they tried to launch what they was essentially their flagship last year, which the 765G 8.3 was overpriced and completely underdelivered in every aspect, not even just performance and specs, but design even. It was so staid, especially once Verizon got their hands on it. And it's just like, ah, oh, I don't understand where you're going with this. And it took them forever to ship it too. They announced it at MWC uh, or around the time of MWC since it didn't really happen. And, and then it was just like, like we got it like in the summer in Europe and then in November or October in the US for a price that you could buy a Galaxy Fan Edition plus some accessories. It was ridiculous. I mean, there's three things that there's three things that people want from Nokia for it to be or Nokia for it to be called Nokia. Okay. And those three things <laughs> are number one, they want European patriotism and a European sense of identity. They need it to deliver that. Number two, they want the kind of uh, fun candy store type design that was uh, uh, familiar from the Lumia era. Uh And number three, they want the groundbreaking, mind-blowing camera capabilities that got put in everything from the N80 and the N95 up to the pure views. And... Unfortunately, this HMD Nokia seems to be firing on none of those cylinders. I know they have such a history to play from. Like the the Lumia brand, the early one, especially as you said, the candy colors, the super high quality polycarbonate machined finishes. Like why not bring that back in a modern form factor? Make it a little more affordable since you're made in China and you have deals with Shenzhen. And then, you know, add some decent camera. Like it doesn't even have to be special per se, but at least nail the basics of camera, put OIS on your lenses, good software, good sensors, good lenses, Zeiss branded, you know, don't put sticker cams with two megapixel macros that do nothing. Like just, just make a, make a Snapdragon 700 series 5G phone that costs 500 bucks, 600 bucks, competes with TCL here and gives us an even better imaging experience, that nice Android One experience, and some beautiful industrial design from the Lumia days. You're done. I would say Nokia needs to make the TikTok phone. That's right. TikTok phone. They need to make the TikTok phone. They need to make it 
optimized with the camera and with the design that an 18-year-old girl in Italy who is constantly making dance TikToks wants to be in all of her videos. 100%. It seems that they're just sitting on their laurels. Like, I, don't, I don't even know how they're successful right now. <laughs> I guess they sell a lot of 5.3s, right? <laughs> Maybe. Ah, <sighs> weird. So, hey, one thing we skipped over that I want to talk with you about to wrap up because it's so egregious to me. I, get, I had such a conversation with George yesterday in email. I think he hates me now. Uh, Verizon Adaptive Sound. What is that even? I, I can't even. I know. That's, that's my, like, I mean, like, what? Like, I literally, this is my email to him. Why must Verizon always reinvent the wheel? Question mark. Smiley. Because they don't want to be a dumb pipe. I told them in my next email, I said, Verizon is a dumb pipe. It has no business having its own terrible messaging app or its own adaptive sound implementations when Dirac, DTS, Dolby, Apple, Sony provide compelling adaptive audio functionality of their own and to other products. You know that Verizon and AT&T will both die on the hill of we are not dumb pipes. We are intelligent application providers. Can Verizon Messenger die already? Like, who does that? Like, Google has the best messaging app, and it sucks. It has the best messaging app because of RTS, whatever, right? Like, give us that as a stock app. That's what everybody's doing. Everybody's putting the stock app, the RCS app. I think, I th- I think, I think we, need to, we need to arrange a trade of hostages where if we offer to write enough articles about mobile edge compute, they will terminate Verizon Messenger. Maybe. I mean, I just don't understand this. Like, okay, spatial audio, whatever. That's not even spatial audio. What do they call it? Adaptive sound. What does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've, see, we've been reading the articles. We've been writing the articles. No one is quite sure exactly what it means. It's, it's like, if it, is, if it is something that adapts the audio based on your environment, that's been done before. There's lots of APIs and SDKs out there for existing mm-hmm. phone manufacturers to use. Moto does that. I've, I've heard Snapdragon Sound works quite well. Exactly. That's another solution. And for all we know, there's guaranteed this was not done in-house. Guaranteed this is a rebranded of a third party. But, like, why? And then to lump it on, on this, what, six-month-old Moto One 5G Ace rebranded with the UW branding from Verizon. It's like, it's not even a good phone. Like, I reviewed it. It's not a good phone. Don't buy it. But Moto R, as you pointed out earlier in this call, and now we're calling back to all sorts of things which we talked about, Moto are Verizon's kind of in-house pets. True. They will do what Verizon wants in exchange for, you know, primary placement and a lot of, a lot of uh, promotion. But yeah, I don't know why Verizon is trying to do this. This 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 harkens back to Vcast. Yeah, I feel bad for George because he's got to like pedal that stuff. Like it's just like I just it was one of those WTF moments for mm-hmm. me this week. I'm like, why? Like, I almost thought not even bothering to include it. But then it's just I figured with you on, we would have a good good laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm I'm not gonna cry for Verizon. Listen, it's it's July right now. In six months, they're going to flip the switch on 100 million people's worth of C-band, and we're going to be pumping our fists, and they're going to have a network that they can talk about. And I think until then, they're trying to maintain some sort of position for innovation. Yeah, we can see right through your lies. (laughs) I will end it on that. Sasha, you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at PCMag.com. I am constantly on Twitter as Sasha Segan. And I have my weekly uh, newsletter, Sasha Segan's Race to 5G. You can find that just by Googling the words PCMag newsletters and you'll get the sign up screen. Sweet. You should sign up, folks. It's a good one. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character Tankerl without the vowels. Twitter is where you should go to talk with me and Sasha about this podcast. If you have questions, comments, whatever, please put them there. Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures taken with phones and pretty pictures of phones and all kinds of content related to the podcast that's visual. So check that out. There's also visual content on my two YouTube channels. YouTube.com slash mobile tech podcast is where the main channel is. You want to see unboxings, hands-on, that kind of thing. Hands-ons once we get them again. Check that out. Then there's a new channel my producer and I have been working on, trying to get some content, trying to get those thousand subscribers so we can monetize. It's called youtube.com slash mobile tech more. And it's all about the accessory world, the anchors and the ear ones from nothing essential. That's right. Nothing essential. You know, check that out. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. You can find uh, RSS feed there if you're old school. But, you know, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found, you'll find the show. And if your app lets you rate or review the podcast, please consider doing that. It would be super helpful. And folks, if you want to help the podcast, consider joining Patreon. We have a Patreon now for a few weeks. So patreon.com slash TNKGRL. That's Tank Girl. Patreon.com slash TNKGRL. I want to thank Rick H. for joining this week. Thanks, Rick, for being a supporter. If you're wondering what it's about, well, there's different tiers. You can just like donate some money to help out or you can get some special things if you, depending what tier you pick. There is a Discord channel. You can chat with me if you'd like. But more importantly, I make a video version of this podcast now and it's just, you know, a Skype call with my guest like here with Sasha and you get to see us in uh, person ahead of the audio show and you get to see us unedited too because I'm not going to go through making it all clean and nice. You're going to get it kind of raw the same day. It's exciting. And then two days later, you get the audio version. So if you want the exclusive video version, join Patreon. I would love your support and I want to thank the existing patrons for being awesome. And again, the Discord chat is there if you want to talk with me and your patron. I also want to point out that if you don't want to do the Patreon thing, you can actually use a PayPal link that's in the show notes. So check it out. Go to tankgirl.com. It's in there. And then there's a PayPal button. You can contribute that way. I also want to thank Audible. Audible has been a longtime sponsor for years now and i want to thank them for being super awesome and supporting the show but you can help them help us by getting a 30-day free trial on audible and keeping a free book if you leave it's pretty awesome if you stay though it's even better audibletrial.com slash mobile tech is the url it's pretty great so if you don't know audible well let me tell you it's very simple it's basically a audiobook platform if, like me, you're a bookworm and you like to read books, but you'd rather listen to books instead, well, Audible's got you covered. They're the platform. That's what they do. They do more than that, though. They have podcasts, they have short stories, they have a whole bunch of stuff. But if you're like me and you like long-term audio format stuff, you're on a road trip, you want to listen while you drive, that kind of thing, Audible's got you covered. Lots of books read by the authors. It's really fantastic. And again, you know, you pick up a book, you read for two hours, you put it back down. It takes a few days. It's the same deal here. Yeah, you can listen for hours on end if you want. Consider joining Audible, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. So check that out. And thanks again to Audible for being our longtime 
sponsor. And Sasha, thank you for being a guest on the show yet again. I'm always happy to show up. Uh, let's talk again. We have our big uh, annual road test on the road right now, right. Uh, Fastest Mobile Networks. We've just been through our first three cities, and we have 27 to go. So uh, when we have all 30 down in August, uh, maybe let's talk about it. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to hear what the state of 5G looks like. So I'll get you on for that. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.